um, our uh, our uh, series of of conversations about uh, David is drawing to a close. We have one more week, um, and one of the things I have tried to do in the course of this this uh, survey is to is to talk about uh, not just the good things. It would be so easy to find all the places where David is wonderful and great, and just say what a great guy David is, but. I wouldn't believe it myself and I wouldn't expect you to believe it because David's not exclusively great. David's, like a lot of us, David's a good and bad. He's a mixture. Um, and what David has uh, going for him is that, is that his highs are very high and his lows are very low. David is kind of magnified, so it's easy to see both the good and the bad. That's what makes him so great for teaching because we can look at David and say, well, don't do that, or we say, oh, that's a good thing. And, and we've spent a fair amount of time over the course of this survey looking at some of the places where David has been good, but also places where David has been uh, uh, challenged. And we can, learn, we can learn by example better than by following. Um, but today is a place where we can actually look at David and say, this is, this is a place where we can admire David. We can admire David, and not because of his, uh, his skills at handling domestic confrontations. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. But... But David does something that is very admirable here, and that is uh, David um, brings this ark of the Lord, and we see once again the way that God smiles on the things that David does. And we can look at that and say, wow, that would be so neat if God smiled on all of the things I undertake, the way that God smiles on what David does. It would be great to be able to operate the way David does. The the way that David operates by just... um, doing the things that he assumes will please the Lord and God smiling on them. I think that, I think that most of us can, can relate to that. We can say, I wish that there was a place in my life, uh, where God would bless me the way that God blessed David. Um, I was thinking about this. Uh, most of us have probably thought about, uh, how they would like God to bless their job. You know, whether it's, uh, I, I don't have a job, I'd like God to bless me by giving me a job, helping me find that right job. Uh, maybe by keeping the job in a bad economy. Maybe by changing the job so it's not so terrible of a job and it becomes one I enjoy going to more often. But whatever it is, something where we could say, I wish that God would smile on what I'm doing, the way God keeps smiling on David. David has done all kinds of stuff, good and bad, and God keeps smiling on David. I would like God to do the same in my job. Or maybe, maybe not my job, but some project I'm working on. I've got a hobby that I'd like God to smile on this because it's difficult, it's tricky, and I'd like God to help me with that. Maybe it's not, it's not a, a hobby. Maybe it's a, a, a school where we're, we're trying to get a certification or it's just regular school where we've got a class, we've got an assignment. We'd like God to smile on our effort there the way God smiles on David. Maybe it's not something we're doing. Maybe it's, maybe it's who we are. We'd like God to make us into different people. We'd like God to make, make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Make me a better son. Uh, a better daughter. Better wife. Better daughter. We'd like God to change how we are. Change, change what kind of people we are. But we'd like God to bless us by changing what kind of person we are. We'd like to be a better, a friend or a better neighbor. That's the way we'd like God to bless us. Maybe it's, maybe it's our finances. We'd like God to, to help us. We're trying to, to pay off some bills. We're trying to, we're trying to, uh, get on a budget. We want to be more responsible in our finances. We'd like God to bless that so it's not such an uphill battle the whole way. We'd like God to smile on that. 
Maybe it's maybe it's our health. We've got we've got a procedure coming up. We want to get through the rehab. Maybe we want to to, to knock some addiction off. Whatever whatever it is, probably most of us can relate to this and say, I wish God would would get involved in my life, would smile on it, would bless me the way God blesses David here. And so we look at David and we say, David just seems to have this charmed life, that God keeps smiling on him. And it's not because he's such a wonderful person. We've been through that. David is sometimes good and sometimes bad. I would like to have God smile on me the way God smiles on David. That's what I would like. The good news is that the scriptures tell us there's a way that that happens. That, 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 that there's teaching in here about how we might have that. How we might have God smile on our undertaking. And I will, if you're starting to get nervous, you're getting kind of a little antsy in your seat, I will tell you, it's not by being a great dancer. Okay? You don't have to bust out the moves to, to, uh, please God. Okay? Although David does. That's not the answer. But there is a lesson here, so I want to look at this passage. Now, um, if you weren't here last week or if you don't remember it, um, last week we looked at the, the question of, of, of what kind of worship pleases God, but the context is this project that David has undertaken. Now, David has been, uh, I guess a charitable way to look at it is David has been groomed to be king for a long time. For 20, 30 years, David was not king. Israel had a king, and David was not him. But eventually, uh, in God's providence, David becomes king. The, the, the ruling king of Israel, uh, King Saul, uh, dies in a battle at a time when David happens to be somewhere else and is able then to step in and, and become king. Part of Israel immediately picks him for king. The other part of Israel eventually comes around. It takes a couple of years of negotiation, but they decide, we want David to be king too. So David is trying to be a better king than Saul. And he hits on this idea that it would be a good thing to relocate all the government, all the civic life of Israel to Jerusalem. He had just captured Jerusalem from uh, in a battle with some people who were there. There's a lot of battles going on. You've, you've heard that over the last couple of weeks. There's the Philistines and the Jebusites and all these different people. There's all these battles and raids and so forth. David has conquered the city of Jerusalem. And it has now been incorporated into the territory of Israel. And David says, I want to relocate my government there. So he does that with the government. He says, I want to relocate the religion there too. Up to this point, the religion of Israel has been centered in a town called Shiloh, which is in the northern part of Israel. And he says, I want to move that down here too. What's the best way I can do that? Well, the best way David hits on to do that is by moving the Ark of the Covenant there. Now, this is the same Ark in the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's that same Ark. It's a box it had um, the, the tablets of the law in it. And it was lost, not like in the movie got lost, but it was lost in battle, the same way this other people lost Jerusalem. Uh, some, some people came in. Uh, Israel was going to fight them. God said, don't do it. I'm not going to be with you. They said, we can force you to fight on our side, God, by bringing your ark along with us. And God said, actually, you can't. And so they lost the battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was was captured and it sat in this uh, foreign country for a little bit. The foreigners, though, quickly decided they didn't want any part of it because God wasn't going to let them uh, uh, trot him around as kind of captured spoil. So, so uh, they send they send the the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel and it sits on the border territory right there between the land of the Philistines and Israel. So David says, my project is to bring this into town. I'm going to bring this into Jerusalem and then both the the civil government and the religion 
of Israel will all be located in this town of Jerusalem. So he starts that, and as we saw last week, somewhere along the way it got sidetracked because one of the one of the Levites uh, reached out and touched the ark, and he was struck dead. So David left things where they were. David said, "All right, I can't go through with my project. I'm just going to leave it there." But God wins David back to the project. God blesses this guy Obed Edom, and when when he does. David says, okay, I'm going to resume my project. And that's where we pick up the story here. It says, it was told to David, uh, the Lord has blessed the household of Abed-Edom. So David went and brought up the ark of, the God, of God from the house with rejoicing. <clears throat> and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. So that's the beginning of the story. We're picking it up where we left off last week. And then we see what happens. Uh, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Um, the... Uh, David was girded with a linen ephod, and we'll come back to that in a minute. And David in the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpets. So they had this big parade, big celebration, because the project is back underway. God is permitting them. No one's dying this time. So God is permitting them to, to carry on bringing the ark of the covenant back to, or not back to, but to Jerusalem for the first time. And... Um, they get there, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, Princess Michal, looks out the window and sees David, and she despises him. We'll come back to that, too. I'll get to that part of the story in a minute. But they bring in the Ark of the Lord. They set it in this tent that David has pitched. There's a new tabernacle for it, and David blesses the people there. They have some sacrifices. David distributes food, so there's like a picnic. Everybody gets to have a picnic, and it really is a lot like the Fourth of July celebrations downtown. And then... Everybody goes home, and David goes home too, and he gets into an argument with his wife. Okay, now this is Michal, and she's the one who looked out the window and despised him in her heart, and she saw him um, uh, dancing before the Lord, and she despised him. And so he gets home, and Michal, daughter of Saul, comes out to meet him and says, how the king of Israel honored himself today. She's being sarcastic. She's saying, how you disgraced yourself Uncovering yourself before the eyes of the servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might uncover himself. Now, you will sometimes see art in, in um, illustrated Bibles or uh, illustrations of this, and they'll show David like stripped down, hardly wearing anything, dancing before the Lord. And maybe so, Michal is is not an unprejudiced observer, but uh, the word ephod is actually a priestly garment. Uh, David's worn one a couple of times. If you go back to the beginning of First Samuel. Uh, Samuel's uh, mom, Hannah, used to make him a little tiny ephod when he was just a little boy. And so it's just what priests wore, and it was worn on the top part of your body, and so I'm really pretty sure he was wearing more than that. Um, uh, Israel had a very strong nudity taboo. Uh, David would not have been wearing something only on his top. So, um, so it's not clear what she means by this. It could very well mean that he chose to wear priestly garments instead of kingly garments. Okay, he uncovered himself. He took off his king in order to do this religious stuff. So we don't know. She doesn't explain herself, but it's not likely that he was truly naked. Um, and David uh, has, well, David's got an excuse. The book of Proverbs has not been written yet. David's son Solomon will write the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 15, it will say, A soft answer turneth away wrath. And David should do that right now, but he doesn't because that hasn't been written. So he doesn't do that. He says, he says, hey lady, here's the deal. Okay, I wasn't dancing before those maids. Um, I was dancing before the Lord. And by the way, which Lord is that? That's the Lord that 
wiped out your dad's whole household and made me king. So, scoreboard. Okay? David, David does not answer this with the most tact and grace he might, he might. He says, God picked me as prince, not your dad, lady. Um, God picked me to be prince over Israel, the people of the Lord that I have danced before the Lord. He says, and I'll make myself more contemptible than this. I'll be abased. Um, but by the maids of whom you've spoken, I will be held in honor. Now, David has been, the, the women of Israel have been dancing and singing songs about David since, uh, he first killed Goliath, uh, 30, 40 years ago. And he's saying, they're going to still do that. It's interesting, I, 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 I am disciplining myself. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. I do want to talk very quickly about this because this is a great Rorschach test. Um, this verse, uh, it says here, Michal never had a child to the day of her death. Now, uh, let me encourage you, if you're buying a study Bible, uh, there's only so many ways you can translate the Bible, right? Michal had no baby until the end of her days or whatever, right? There's only so many ways you can translate that. But there's all kinds of ways you can interpret it. And so if you're thinking, I'd like to buy a study Bible, this one looks pretty good, turn to 2 Samuel 6, verse 23, and see what they've got to say about it. Because it is like a Rorschach test, an ink blot. You will see what the interpreters of that Bible are thinking, because they, it comes out here. Okay, And the answer is, it doesn't tell us. This is a place you really have to think. And I've got some questions in the bulletin, um, the, the insert, to help you kind of see what some of the choices are. But uh, don't go straight to wherever your head is taking you, okay? Because that may not be the right place. And it may not be in the study Bible you pick up either. Um, the Bible does not say anything except, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. It does not say God judged her. It does not say God taught her a good lesson or two. So, so take some time and think through what that might mean. If you've got questions about that, let me just encourage you, run through the questions in the bulletin um, and uh, and the other thing is, don't think of David as an example for running a family. Okay? If you know the story of David, I heard some chuckles. If you know the story of David, there's no place else in the Bible where David is held up as a model father and husband. Okay? He's not. He's got his gifts, but that's not among them. So don't think that this is an example of how you run your household. You know, you be quiet, woman. Um, uh, God put me in charge here. I don't think that that's what... Uh, what the lesson is here. So I will just leave you with that, and I want to talk about my part of this scripture because it's the one that's spoken to me. Um, it's it's the first part where David is dancing before the Lord, and David has undertaken this project, and God is smiling on it. And what is amazing to me about this is David has not inquired of the Lord. Now David sometimes does that. We see that in scriptures. It said we saw that a couple of weeks ago. David was trying to decide, should I pursue these people and have a battle with them? And it says, David inquired of the Lord. But it doesn't do that here. No place in this whole chapter, no place anywhere, when David is relocating the seat of government, the seat of Israel's religion, to a new town that God has never authorized, David doesn't inquire of the Lord. And what I love is David is just pursuing his best understanding of what God has told him to do. God said, I'm going to make you king, run with it. And David figures out the best way to be king over Israel is to relocate the government and the religious life of the people to this new town of Jerusalem. And it does not tell us that David has inquired of the Lord. It doesn't say that. But God smiles on it. God smiles on what David 
does anyhow. Now, it's true, there's a hiccup. Somebody dies. We saw that last week. This guy Uzzah, he reached out, he touched the ark of the Lord, and David says, okay, I'm going to stop. And he leaves the ark where it was. But then where we picked up today, Abed-Edom's household is blessed. And David says, okay, I will interpret that to mean I can resume my project. Again, David does not inquire of the Lord, can I do this? David just does it. And then we read that when they had moved the ark six paces, David had a sacrifice. He sacrificed an ox and a fatling and began this whole celebration. Everyone's dancing and singing their cymbals and all this good stuff. David begins celebrating because they've gone six paces toward Jerusalem. And he says, it's time to party. That's what I love about David. David has not asked permission. David is doing his best to interpret the job that God gave him to be king over Israel. He's willing to be, he's willing to let God run the, the speed, right? Stop. He, he stopped. For three months he did nothing. But then he picks it up again when God shows that it's okay. He doesn't ask permission. David simply acts on the assumption that he has a heavenly father who longs to bless him in all he does. And I think that's the application for us. Let me give you an example of this. When we were moving up here, back in, back in January, the, the pastor nominating committee was asking me, okay, how quickly can you be up here? I found out subsequently, because I should have done my homework, that Methodists don't come up here until the middle of the year. And so I could have said, June 30th. And they probably would have said, okay then. I, I don't know, I don't, don't correct me if I'm wrong. But, but, but Presbyterians aren't so wise as Methodists. So we, we, we engender all kinds of pain and suffering. So, so, um, I, I said, I said, I don't know. And I kind of figured out, and basically there's no good answer, right? You've got to, you've got to, um, wind up the business of your previous church. You've got to kind of extract yourself from that situation. You've got to get the family out of their situation. You've got to sell your house. You've got to move. And there's no good answer. There's no good answer. And so what we said is, look, God is either in this project or God's not. And if God's not in it, we want to know up front. So we picked uh, what I think is a pretty aggressive date. I think seven weeks, um, uh, maybe six weeks. I, it was it, Whatever it was, I've blocked it out of my mind. It was very short. And we said, we're just going to do that. Okay, we're going to make that happen or not. And we said, if, if God is in this, it will happen. And so... Uh, there were all kinds of ways that God was in it. And I will just give you one because it's my way of celebrating. I don't dance before the Lord. But let me tell you this. Um, we listed our house on a Saturday. We had a showing on Sunday and a lowball offer. We didn't even have time to consider it. It's like it's a lowball offer. It's only been shown once, first day, no big deal. On Monday, we had two more showings and two more offers. And we ended up getting more money for our house than we listed it for because the two people bid against each other. On the third day that the house was listed, and I have interpreted that, I have no category to describe that except that God was in that. Um, this, you know, I, I don't know what the housing market is like here, um, but I can tell you it's not like that in Southern California. Okay, it is terrible in Southern California. We had three offers in three days, 
and we got more for our house than we listed it for. We took a beating, but we were going to take a beating anyway. The point is we got our house sold in two days, uh, two and a half days, because God was in it. So I would encourage you, as you think about what's going on in your life, think about that, that thing, whether it's a job or a relationship, whether it's your finances or your health, whatever it is, where you say, if only God would smile on me the way God smiled on David. Think about it like David. Okay, Say to yourself, okay, I'm going to assume I'm a child of God and God wants to bless me. So I'm just going to launch into this. I'm going to let God correct me. If I'm wrong, I'm willing to be corrected, okay? I'm willing to put this project on hold for six months or three months like David did with the ark. But he didn't consult God. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to pray, but he didn't. He didn't say, God, how do I do this well and then wait for God to tell him, move the ark. He said, as far as I can tell with the gifts you've given me, God, the way I can best be king is by doing this. So whatever it is that you think God is trying to get you to do, to be the person God wants you to be, start. Just assume that God is waiting to bless you. Instead of waiting for God's permission, start now and wait for God to bless you instead. So that's the first thing. The second thing is be willing to correct, be willing to be corrected. Uh, it could be you're wrong and this really isn't God's will. But I'm encouraging you to think expansively as long as you know it's not out of God's will. If you're, if you're thinking, this is how I plot the perfect crime, I'm going to do a bank heist. No. Okay? Don't do that. But if you're thinking, how can I be a better person? How can I, how can I be happier at work? How can I be a better, uh, a more productive citizen? Um, how can I have a more, more uh, space in my finances? Whatever it is, if you think it's not out of God's will, pick that area of your life and say, I'm going to assume God wants to bless me in that area. So start there. Be willing to be corrected. But then here's the, here's the real tricky part. It's easy to picture the end, okay? It's easy to picture the end where you say, God is going to bless me in my marriage if suddenly we're all happy all the time and Ozzy and Harriet and everything's wonderful. But instead of starting at the end, do like David. What does it look like six paces into this project? Okay, what would be the first sign, not the end, but the very first sign that God is blessing you in what you're doing? Picture what that would be. Okay, if my marriage was better, it would be such and such. If my job would better, would be better, the very first indication that my job would be, would be better is this. Okay, if I should get a new job in this area I've always wanted to work in, whatever, um, what would that look like? What would the first indicator be? What would be the first sign that God was blessing me? Think through what that is. And then watch for it. And if it's not, okay. But if it is, celebrate. God is blessing you. Watch for it and celebrate as soon as he starts to do so. So, There's a book that's on... I've got an infinitely long list of books I'm going to read someday. I think that's what heaven's for. But there's a book I want to read. It's called An Army of Davids. And it's a secular book. It's talking about politics or something. I, I actually don't know what it's about. But it's talking about something called crowdsourcing. Do you know about crowdsourcing? Let me give you an example of what crowdsourcing is. My son has this website he goes to where he's classifying craters on the moon. And what they've done, there's a there's a, a surveying satellite thing or whatever that's going around the moon taking pictures. 
but it's taking way too many pictures for the scientists to classify the craters, that there's just too many for them to do that. So what they did is they put all the pictures online, and people can go online, just random. You can sign up later today. Um, if he will emerge from hiding, I can ask him what the website is. But but you can go online, and you can classify craters too, and you just say, this is a crater, and here's how big it is. And you do that for each picture, and then it does it again for another picture, and you do it till you get bored, and then you go away. And somebody else around the world is doing the same thing, and randomly getting pictures just like yours, and maybe some of the same ones, right? Any given picture might be looked at by dozens of people. Okay, and you're all classifying where the craters are. And the, that's being used to help teach computers how to find craters. And I don't know why anybody cares about the craters in the moon, but they're doing this, and they could never do it if they had to wait for experts to do it. But instead, they have crowdsourced this problem. There's a crowd of people, I've got 10 minutes, I'm going I'm to classify some craters in the moon. Sure, everybody's got a hobby, why not? Okay, so they're doing this, and the frontiers of science are being pushed forward because they're crowdsourcing. And that's what the topic of this book is, this uh, Army of Davids. The idea is that there's a lot of big problems in the world, and there's a lot of Davids, small people who can't fight them. But but collectively we can. That's kind of the idea from the book cover that, that I get from it. And so I'm curious to see what he's got to say. But it's a secular book. He's missed the point of David. See, David took on a big problem because he had God helping him. Now, imagine in your own life, whatever your problem is, whatever your particular Goliath is, okay, whatever you're moving the ark to Jerusalem is, if you assumed that God is going to bless you, if you started from that assumption and you said, okay, I'm going to go six paces and then celebrate what God is doing, you are now a David in a much more biblical sense than this guy is talking about in his, in his book. But now here's the, here's the real thing. How many of us are there? Imagine if we are truly an army of Davids. What kind of problems can we take on? You know, problems people joke about. You know, world peace, hunger, uh, the common cold. What kind of problems can we take on if we are truly an army of Davids? An army of people that God longs to bless as they go about and do their work in the world. This is the promise that is set before us. This is the promise of Scripture, that we can be that army of Davids. We are the church, and it is truly an army of Davids. Thank be to God. Amen.